It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Frankie Shinta, who will be performing at the South Point Casino this Friday and Saturday, May 3rd and 4th at 7.30. For ticket information, go to southpointcasino.com. And for everything about Frankie Shinta, the showman, go to frankieshinta.com. And Frankie, welcome to the show. Welcome to my world. How are you doing today? <laughs> doing good. Now, because many of our listeners do not live in Las Vegas, but they have heard of the Shintas. I mean, the locals all know you, obviously, for all the years you've been here. And the Buffalo people know you. But just to kind of recap, I wanted to touch base with you on the first time you remember performing. In other words, what age were you when you first got the bug, so to speak? Wow. Uh, I was a little boy, and my grandfather used to let me strum. He would play the chords on the guitar or the mandolin, and I would pick the chords. And by the time I was six, my grandpa had passed away. And out of 27 grandkids, he left my brother Joe and me all his guitars and mandolin. And that's, I remember the first time I performed uh, locally was in my school. I brought it to school and asked the teacher, can I play for the class? And she wasn't real happy about it, but she said, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, go ahead. And, but I, by the age of seven, I was on local TV on a, on a show called Uncle Jerry's Club. It was like America's Got Talent, but a local nothing TV show. And all the kids were singing the Beatles and Elvis. And, and of course, I came on and sang a Sicilian song about a donkey. <laughs> so yeah, so, yeah, it's I, totally different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like a waltz, you know, a sad song about a donkey that died. So I, I lost the contest, but I loved the fact that I was on TV. And all the accolades that I got. And that was the start. I'm saying, you know, I knew right then and there, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. You are brutally honest. You always have been. And I always felt that most performers have a certain amount of need to perform in their blood. You have it, you have it ingrained in your DNA. Yeah, really. You know what? I, I'm a very blessed person because I really never took lessons Everything I learned was by ear. I, I would hear a song. For example, we, my mom and dad took me to see The Godfather when it came out. And I came home. I sat down at the piano and I started playing the theme from The Godfather. My mother's going, how the hell do you know what you're doing? I, go, I don't know, but I know it's right. And that's how the whole thing started. Honest to God, Ira, uh, by the age of 10, I was nine years old. The guy had a banjo thrown up in an attic. My dad put it together. I asked the guitar teacher how to tune the banjo and show me three chords. And everything else was by ear. And by the age of 10, I was on Ted Mack Amateur Hour, then the Merv Griffin Show. And that was the beginning of me, like, living to be on. I couldn't wait to take the stage and not much has changed. 
When you do take the stage, Frankie, are you at all, right before going on, nervous or excited? Or are you so, because you love it so much, you're ready to bound up there? Or are, do you have anxiety at all before you go out? I never once, the only time I was nervous was when I performed for President Reagan in the White House. I was nervous, but I've never, never in my life had any nerves prior to the stage. I never know what I'm going to say. I never know what's going to happen. I really don't. So none of it's really contrived. I mean, the order of the show is there, but what's going to happen on that stage I never know. And I've never had apprehension or anxiety. I just live to do it, man. And, and I'm blessed to feel that way. I never did it for the money. I did it because I just wanted to entertain. You're in the moment on stage too, Frankie, meaning that, as you said, you don't script what you're going to say. There's an order run of the show, but still you're in the moment when you're on stage. So you just say what you're going to say at that moment. It's, it's unbelievable what happens when I, I just get up there and I look at the audience and, you know, every audience is part of my show, every person in that audience. And, you know, you don't see shows do that anymore. You know, most entertainers talk to the back wall or they'll shake a hand when walking by, but not a lot of them use the audience like kind of Don Rickles ish if I may, mm -hmm. you know, every nationality, every race, every, every, everybody's at risk of being part of my show, <laughs> but all in a fun, a right. very fun way, never to insult. And 99.9% .9 of the people know where I'm coming from. They know, you know, whether it's, uh, whatever the kind of comedy is, I, I've really never had an issue on stage. It's almost but, like it's almost like the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. So they know that you're going to be making fun of people, but not from a harmful point of view. Absolutely. No, that makes and sense. And I love everybody. I don't care where you come from, what political side of the fence you're on. I I don't I really don't talk politics on stage like a lot of entertainers do. I, I think that's not for us to voice our opinion in that environment. So many of the late show guys are, you know, they're, they're like experts on politics and all they are is comedians. And I think I got to stay on the comedy side of everything. So if it's ever politics, it's always funny, never derogatory. And also too, you're going to be, you're going to be putting both sides up there or playing off both sides. Of absolutely. Politics as well. Yeah, absolutely. When you first started Frankie and, and you're getting the family involved because it, when you first came to Las Vegas and I remember clearly you came obviously as a well-known established brand, the Shintas. So it was your brother, Joey, your sister, Chrissy, you had Pete and you came to Las Vegas, you took it by storm. And I have this indelible memory of you when I interviewed the whole group, it was a live broadcast. You were at a doctor's office, and you, it was something you couldn't get out of, but you still called in. And it's that interesting work ethic that you have combined with that need to perform that defines you. So I, I always remembered that, that we were making fun of you when you called because you were at the doctor's office, but you did call, <laughs> and you were part of that broadcast. I, I, I'm a man of my word, that's for sure. No, you are. So when you and your brother Joey first got going, did you envision incorporating your younger sister and then Peter later on, or has that just happened organically? 
Well, actually, before Joe and I got started together, Chrissy and I were performing together. But ah. it was in little places like Johnny's Old Time Tavern, where there was a Dixieland band, and I was playing uh, L. Jolson songs on my banjo, and Chrissy would come out. I would start singing, Oh, you beautiful doll, you great big beautiful doll. And then, of course, I wrote in Chrissy into this segment where she comes out with, Ma, he's making eyes at me. And she was five years old and brought the house down in a nightclub back then. Amazing. But when Joe and I got together, Chrissy, you know, it was bars and lounges. So Chrissy couldn't come because she was too young to play in these environments. Uh, so what happened was she would come in on weekends with mom and dad and stay for the first set. And that was it. She'd have to go home right after that. It was, it was amazing. Because people would come to see Christy in the first set, and then they knew after she left, it was going to get raw. <laughs> That's funny. So it was first your <laughs> and sister. It did. Yeah, it was first your sister, then Joey joined you. And then how did the, the whole group then get together as the Shintas before you came to Las Vegas? Because people kept always, I remember very clearly when you, you, when you guys came to Las Vegas, everybody said, the Shintas, what, the Shintas, what is that kind what of a name? What the heck is a Shinta? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, we added Pete O'Donnell we actually had a drummer before him for 10 years and he started to do magic. I mean like large illusions in our show. And at first it was really good. And then he got so good that he decided to go out on his own and we understood, but he left us with like a two day notice. Well, that's not, a and lot. we were already up on a gig that was 13 weeks long up in the thousand islands. Uh, where a, a guy by the name of Don Cole built a showroom, a 900-seat showroom for us. And we played there every summer for 15 years. Pete filled in one night because we needed a drummer. He happened to be up there. We knew he was from Buffalo. And we asked him to sit in. And Pete O'Donnell is still sitting in after 30 years <laughs> he's, not, he's an honorary shinta uh, yes he is he's he's like the kosayeri to me you know? <laughs> are you starting to get a little nervous because i'm starting a rumor that pete is starting to learn magic oh my god oh, pete, <laughs> his magic is on the drums and on his comedy he's gotcha. very funny <laughs> he is he's naturally funny and he really is when you started with Joey, how did you divvy up the impressions? In other words, did you just decide to go with what you were strong with and what was he, he was strong with? Or how did that work? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Joe knew what he was good at. He loved his Joe Cocker, his Mick Jagger, his uh, Hendrix. Um, he did them all so well. In fact, Rich Little said Joe's impression of of uh, Joe Cocker was the best impression he's seen of a human being in his life. How do you like that for a compliment? And I was standing right next to him. Yeah, that is a pretty good compliment. (laughs) Absolutely right. (laughs) The family over the years have had its challenges. And of course, just recently, uh, Joey passed away. Yet you are able to continue and with Pete to perform. And I know your younger sister, Chrissy, had uh, vocal issues. But the clear commitment you have to performing, both, as you said earlier, it's in your blood, and also your work ethic, 
hasn't stopped you a bit. You just continue to perform and perform. And I'm just curious, when you're off stage, are you able to, I don't know what the term is, relax or be a different type of personality? Or is it Frankie Shinta 24-7? (laughs) (laughs) When I'm in public, I'm kind of Frankie Shinta, you know. You know, if I go to a nightclub and there's somebody up there and they call me up, I'll jump up on stage like the Italian American club, which is like walking into Vegas back in the 60s and 70s. It's incredible. It is. The it's fun it's I a, have there. It's a moment but in when time. when I'm yeah. home, oh, mm-hmm. it is a great time. And yeah. Jerry Tiffy, who is an old time lounge guy, who's just magnificent, you know, me and him will go for an hour and a half without a break, just add living stuff back and forth. But when I'm at home, I am Papa. I'm Papa to my six beautiful grandbabies. And they're here almost every day, whether they're in the jacuzzi or in the house or, you know, they want to be at Papa's house. And of course, you know, the meals here are great. My wife's an incredible cook and they eat good. They play good. And that's my life. I live for those kids. And you know how people used to say, I would have skipped right over my kids for grandkids. I never knew that was true until I had them. <laughs> it is, it's so true. I would have skipped right over all three of my kids. That's a great. Let's take a break. My guest, Frankie Shinta, will be performing at the South Point Casino this Friday and Saturday, May 3rd and 4th at 7.30. For ticket information, go to southpointcasino.com. And for everything about Frankie Shinta, and I am going to spell it out, S-C-I-N-T-A, go to Frankie Shinta. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. You think you know Vegas? But how much do you really know about this neon city? See the dark side of the bright lights at the Ma Museum where you can explore how a tough little town transformed into a gaming metropolis with a little help from organized crime. You won't find these stories of lawbreakers and law enforcement, mob bosses and prosecutors anywhere else. The Mob Museum in downtown Las Vegas. More information at themobmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Frankie Shinta. He'll be performing at the South Point Casino this Friday and Saturday, May 3rd and 4th at 7.30. For ticket information, go to southpointcasino.com. And for everything about Frankie Shinta, go to frankieshinta.com. And Frankie, you were just extolling the virtues of your grandkids. Are any of them going to follow in your footsteps or the group's footsteps? I don't know yet. They're still too young. They love sports, of course, because of our Vegas Golden Knights. They all play hockey. The boys all play hockey. The girls are just, you know what? They sing for us. So it's, it's yet to be seen what will be the future of the Shinta family, kids. But there won't be necessarily any pressure from you or the others in terms of the kids getting into show business. Or... No, you know what? It, this business, the ups are incredible, but the downs have, had, have happened. And you know what? We have weathered all the ups and downs, and I'll probably continue to do it as well. Because as you know, Ira, and as people that live here know, Vegas has changed an awful lot. Where it was a town where the casino relied on the entertainment entertainment to bring people in 
it was like a marriage. You know, they knew the entertainment, even if they gave the show away, that they would draw that eclectic crowd that would drink there, they would gamble there, they would stay there, they would eat there. It was a beautiful marriage. But as you know, things change. And most acts in Vegas pay to perform now. You buy the room, you do your own ads. So there's really no marriage between the casino and the entertainer. So we, we tried that deal uh, after we left the Rio. We tried four-walling, which, which that's what it's called. And it's not a win situation for either party. And um, I'm very blessed to have a contract at the South Point. I really am. Because a lot of entertainers will tell you they got to pay to perform if they're going to be a headlining act. So I've been blessed all these years. Yes, the South Point's unusual. There's a few other casinos, but the South Point's unusual in the sense that they recognize entertainers as an added feature to the property and are willing to to put them under contract as opposed to, as you said earlier, having a four-wall situation where neither the performer nor the resort or the casino has a complementary relationship. It's more at arm's length, and it just doesn't make for a good match that way. It, it just isn't the same as it used to be. Right. You know, but Michael Gaughan, you know, he's an old school guy. He built a beautiful casino at the South End of the Strip. And I got to say, the showroom at the South Point is probably one of the nicest 500 seat showrooms in Las Vegas. State of the art, everything. And what? I'm honored to be there, man. I really am. When you're not performing in Las Vegas, are you touring around the United States or in selected venues around the United States? Yes, selected venues uh, in Michigan, Ohio, New York, California. Um, I make a, I've, I've been doing that before we moved to Vegas. You know, we toured 40 weeks a year, 30 weeks a year, uh, and it was always lucrative for us. We did well. And believe it or not, I, I was the last one in my family to want to move to Vegas. That's and interesting. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't leave here. I, I wouldn't leave here for anything. It's funny because you're you're right. I would have thought you would have been the first one because you were the designated leader or a perceived leader of the group, and therefore you made the decision to come to Las Vegas. But clearly, what you're telling me is that initially you were reluctant, and then of course once you got here, you guys went gangbusters when you when you arrived. Yeah, well, it was a different world then. Right. right. You know, we did our first year plus at the Hilton. And then the Rio gave us a contract that, you know, that entertainers that are big, big names wouldn't squawk at. You know, the contract was beautiful and it, it was great while it lasted. It was it, it was a great a great beginning for us to, to get our name out there. And over the years, we've created this niche in Vegas where the show truly is music, comedy impressions it's not like we're doing tributes like a lot of these tribute shows that you see no disrespect to them god bless them all but we're not a tribute show our show is us but doing caricatures of some of the greats but that's only a part of our show right no there's you, a lot of other stuff going yeah, on i've know? seen you guys perform and you're absolutely right there's there's a lot more going on than just what you just described and you have to kind of be in the moment to really appreciate it. In other words, you can listen to an interview or you can see you a little bit of film or you can 
see a, a part of a show, but you have to see the whole show to get the sense of it. You really do, man. It's like a roller coaster ride of emotions. You know, there's, there's moments you'll laugh as hard as you could laugh, and then there's moments that'll put, set you back and say, oh, my God, man, I remember that. Or, you know, I do love my family. And, you know, and that's what we, we built our career on. We built our career on, like, you know, family, country, uh, a lot of breaking oranges, <laughs> which we do, right. you know, especially if there's an Italian guy. I'm Sicilian, so it's easy for me to pick them out of the crowd, <laughs> especially if they don't clap or, you know, pick up their phone and get a text message. Right. You know, we're brutal at that, but it's all done in fun. And the guy that was nobody becomes a somebody in front of 400 people. <laughs> right. And they love it. You know, by the end of the show, man, you know, you get comments like, I haven't laughed in a year. I, I've been a miserable boy. You really, you made me laugh. You made me cry. Thank you. You know, and those are the kind of compliments I live for. That makes sense. When you, when you first, now you've been in Las Vegas a long time. Do you find now that because you have a long time, a long-term fan base, here in Las Vegas, and people come obviously from Buffalo and other cities to see you guys. Do you find that in the family realm that now you see people bringing their kids or their grandkids to see you as well? That in the beginning where there was just them, but now they're bringing other family members. That is the biggest. That is huge, Ira. I'm glad you mentioned that. Sometimes we have four generations in the audience. You know, grandparents will bring, like if they see it, they'll bring their kids and then they'll. The parents will bring their kids, and it's so unbelievable. When you get compliments from teenagers that say, I never saw anything like this, and I didn't know who Tom Jones was or Dean Martin, but I really liked them, and I'm going to go home and look them up on YouTube. Exactly, I right. mean, it's <laughs> unbelievable to me, Yeah, and I love that stuff. That's what I live for, man, and, and I'm, that's one thing the Shintas have been blessed and I carry it on, is that our age, there really is no age group in our audience. It's everybody, you know, from teens to, to the 90-year-olds. The interesting part is when you do an impression and somebody tells you that they didn't know who they were, but they're going to look them up, it's almost like reverse engineering. In other words, you're introducing them to a larger-than-life personality. They're intrigued enough by your impression that they will then go on YouTube to see the original and then be acquainted with the, some of the history of show business. And, and that's a blessing. You know, I used to do a thing with George Burns where uh, the piece, I don't know if you ever saw it, the piece, uh, he sings, I wish I was 18 again. Right. And then he says, you know, uh, there was an old man that lived next door to me, and he used to wave at us. Of course, I'm doing this as, as George Burns. Right. And I never waved back to him. We, us kids would just run away laughing at him. But now I sit on the front porch and I see those kids out there with so much life and energy and I'll wave to them in hopes that maybe just one of them will say hi to me. Because like that little old man, I wish I was young again too. And, and then I finish the song and it, right at the end of the song, I say, listen, it, it, next time you're out, you see that little old man or little old lady sitting there, say hello, it'll brighten their day. And who knows, one day that'll be you sitting in that chair. And kids come up to me and say, I never thought of that, but man, you really made a lot of sense. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that. 
And those are the moments in my show I love too. Not just the laughter, the moments to be able to touch someone's heart, whether they be young or young at heart. Yeah, you're connecting with them and you also gave them a lesson in the circle of life. Yes. So that because you don't you don't hear it no more, Ira. No, I know. You I really know. don't. It's no. it's like uh it's like people there's <laughs> I don't know what the word is. There's there's no tradition anymore. There's it's like we we've all been uh changed to like we're just everybody. But people aren't just everybody. We are Italian. We are short. You know, we are <laughs> curly hair in five and seven. You know what I mean? Right. And a little bit of a belly because we eat better than most people. But that's Italians. Right. You know, and Jewish people, you know, Jewish people, they know how they are. Everybody has white, black, German, Irish, you know, and that's the things I point at in the audience. And I always say, be proud of what you are, no matter what it is, because God made you that way for a reason. And you know, it's like I said, nothing is contrived. It all comes from my heart. That's the thing, Frankie. You're non-apologetic about being a traditional old-fashioned guy. No, never will. Never have been. Right. Tell us a little bit about, before I let you go, tell us a little bit about your impressions of Las Vegas, aside from the changes we've seen in the show business side of things. Just since you've been here, your take on the town, because I, I don't get a chance to talk to you that often, but I'm curious about since you've been here, what you see, what you like about Las Vegas? You know what? It is a city that stands alone in the United States or around the world. No matter where you go, there's only one Las Vegas. And there's something to do 24-7. Whether you like to gamble, whether you like to eat, whether you like to see shows, whether you like to go to clubs, there's something in this town for everybody. It's not totally an adult town anymore. You know, it's not a gambling. Vegas was gambling. It's not just gambling anymore. There's the best restaurants, I believe, on the planet exist here in Las Vegas. From Italian to steakhouses to, to Asian food to all those different uh, Mediterranean food. Vegas is a destination you have to come to in your lifetime because there's nothing like Las Vegas, nothing. And that's right straight from the heart of Frankie Shinta. And I have one last question because it's always intrigued me, and I, I alluded to it in the beginning, Frankie, and you brought it up again when you're talking about seeing the kids and their energy. Where do you get your energy? I know you have the passion for performing, and it's in your blood, but where do you get the energy to go out night after night to perform? Where does that come from? First of all, before I take that stage, my adrenaline is rushing because it's like somebody's holding me back. So, nope, can't go out yet. Not yet. Not yet. Okay, right now. So my adrenaline is flowing. But before I take the stage, and I don't, I don't want anybody to take it the wrong way. Or I don't care what religion you are. Or, but I always say a little prayer. And I say, I literally say out loud to myself, God, Give me what it takes to grab their funny bone, their heart. Let me get them tonight like it's my first and my last time. And then, bang, I'm out there, and there I am, man, live on stage. I go from zero to 120 in a millisecond, and I live for that, man. I live to sweat, to, to work until, like, if I were to die after any performance, 
any audience that sees me could say he gave it everything he had. I never go halfway. I give it all I got. And I live to do that. And I hope everybody that does this in this business does, because that's longevity then. If you love what you do and do it with your heart and believe in yourself, nothing can stop you. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Frankie Shinta. He'll be performing at the South Point Casino this Friday and Saturday, May 3rd and 4th at 7.30. For ticket information, go to southpointcasino.com. And for everything about Frankie Shinta, S-C-I-N-T-A, go to frankieshinta.com. And Frankie, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Ira. You're always a gentleman, and I look forward to seeing you at my show soon. Absolutely. That's an offer you can't refuse. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) See you next time. All right, buddy. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Hey, Las Vegas.